And we're looking at this series on how all of our jobs can contribute to what God wants to do in this world. And today we're talking about business. My relationship with the business world is complicated. You know, it's not them, it's me, I think. Um, so business was my major in college. I was a business major, business admin major in college. It wasn't, you know, my first choice was engineering, and I failed out of engineering. So, you know, business major was sort of like the second person you asked to the prom because the first person turns you down. Still, I love business. The reason I chose it is when I was in high school, I was part of this thing called Junior Achievement, which is like a sort of little capitalist club where you create uh, a business and run a business as a bunch of high schoolers. And I was president. I was super, super uh, introverted, shy, um, had lots of, uh, you know, self-confidence and, you know, self-security kinds of issues. But I was president of junior achievement. That's how much I liked it. So I choose business as my second uh, date to the prom, second ask to the prom. Um, but there's this way in which uh, capitalism, uh, particularly in the U.S., if you look at it in other countries, it's less so. There's a, there's a kind of toxic extraction element to some corners, particularly corporate capitalism, where it's about extracting resources and labor in order to benefit a few. It can be like that. That's what complicates my relationship with um, the business world. You know, growth in business is centered on the profits rather than growth in the kingdom, which is centered on the profits. PH, you get me there? You can tweet that. So it's about profits instead of profits in uh, the growth notion of the business world. And uh, when, when a corporate mindset is fused or syncretized to the church, it can be really, really unhelpful. So uh, the gospel in that case becomes like a product, becomes like something that you sell, like a thing that you can buy, sort of like fire insurance. That's how the mindset of a sort of corporate capitalist fusion with Christianity can mess with. Syncretism just means like they're blended so thoroughly that you've lost something of the true meaning of Christianity. Um, and, you know, probably it's most apparent at Christmas time we see that fusion, but also when when the church becomes more like a business, it's about growth more than it is about flourishing, more than it is even about the kingdom. It's about growth. It's about the number of people in chairs. That's, I believe, a byproduct of syncretism with this sort of mindset, this bonding with the principalities and powers that are about the increase for a few at the expense of many. And then people just become consumers. The gospel's a product. It's about growth over flourishing. People are consumers. 
And money takes center stage in Christianity. It's about like, okay, we can't move forward unless the, the money thing has to be where we focus our attention. Money takes way more space in a syncretized with a corporate capitalist mindset church or a nonprofit than it ought to. Not that it doesn't have any place, but it's just like, oh, God won't be able to move unless we get enough money to do this thing. Um, like I say, money has a place. It's just that it takes center stage in this syncretistic world. Um, and I think what, what makes me so allergic, because I work in the field of Christian missions, that is the extension of the gospel to every tribe, tongue, and people. Protestant missions grew up with the first corporations. The Dutch East Indies and the British East Indies companies came at the same time that Protestantism was coming up. And in fact, Protestants used the British East Indies Company, the Dutch East Indies Companies, as part of their extension of the gospel. And so there was this kind of unholy marriage between the merchants and their ships and Protestant mission. Uh, in fact, the word missions comes out of the, the mission of colonization. That's where that word sort of gained uh, traction for Protestant Christian missions. It shows up during the sort of period of colonization. Colonization and Christianization became the same thing. They, were, they became synonymous, and they're not. Colonization is about the extraction of labor and raw materials in order to benefit uh, those outside of those communities. And so, you know, the first uh, investors in this in this thing called a limited liability corporation. It's like you could limit your exposure, your liability, and the consequences and still make a pro You didn't have to own the ship. A bunch of people could get together. Uh, the first investors in the limited liability corporations were, were very devout Protestants. And, you know, Queen Elizabeth, my goodness, uh, the first. You read her stuff... She was definitely someone who believed that Jesus saves. I mean, she writes poetically these prayers that like, could be read as part of a liturgy. And the investors were Christians, and the ship owners. You know, one of the early slave ship owners christened his slave ship uh, the Jesus. So, like, here's Jesus carrying slaves in this very devout Protestant ship owner, funded by Protestant investors, ruled by a Protestant queen. Like you see this kind of marriage that becomes really unhelpful. And so, I believe, principalities and powers contained in this spirit of unhealthy uh, profit for the few at the expense of the many uh, became fused with Protestant mission, Christianity. Um, in the U.S., of course, the robber barons were very devout Protestants. Rockefeller and J.P. Morgan, and these are church-going folk, and they created the nonprofit world, parentheses, 
Why is it called nonprofit? As if profit is the thing by which we must define or measure what an organization is. That gives you an idea of this principality and power. That there are two things. There's for profit and there's nonprofit, because everything must be measured against the quest for profit. So there, there's a sort of teaser example of why this is a principality and power that controls a lot of mindsets. So these robber barons were the first captains of the nonprofit and you know that what did they do with their profits? Bless their heart, they did create nonprofits. But they ran the nonprofits like they would their for profit corporations. And so it's the investors slash the donors who control the you know managers or executives who, you know, work with the employees, who work with the people that you're, you know, ministering to. You got this sort of corporate structure where money becomes a central force in how you think about getting stuff done. So the the first American nonprofits run by the robber parents very much had this principality or power at work in the creation of the sort of nonprofit world. So in 2014, I wrote this book uh, about freeing missions from the Christian industrial complex that explores how this happened and what we might do to break free of uh, this fusion. And it was, uh, it offended and it inspired. I would say, for about three or four months, and then it disappeared. <laughs> That's the way of books. It never really became a thing. I have a stack of them here. This is a portion of the box I had at home that the publisher's like, can you get these out of the way? Because we're tripping over them and no one's buying them. So I've got some here. If you want one, you can have one. Uh, ironically, we're trying to get rid of books downstairs. <laughs> I don't want to add these to the pile. So here's the cost. If you take one of these, you have to take 10 books from the basement <laughs> and bring them to a thrift store or a used bookstore and just say, hey, look, I don't need the money. You can have these, do with them what you will. Or you can give a gift to the church, 10 bucks, I don't know. Or to take a book you buy someone on the street's lunch who's, you know, panhandling. So that's the cost of taking a book here. You either have to take books from the basement and get rid of them, uh, give a gift to the church, or uh, give a sandwich to someone on the street. So that was my attempt to sort of name this principality that I feel like controls the Protestant missionary world and to a certain extent, the, the nonprofit world thinks like for-profit corporations because there's a principality in control. So you can see my challenge, and I picked this. I said, I want to talk about business. Not because I want to kick business in the pants, because I do believe there's a great value in business. So... Um, but I hold that with this tension, that this is also the entry point for some things that can be toxic when it is syncretized, like anything can become an idol. Like the family structure can become an idol in an unhelpful way. So um, there's nothing inherently evil 
about business. And I, I believe that business, this idea of we're going to give a, a good product or a service in exchange for money, I think that could be a perfect vehicle for seeing the kingdom of God, the reign of Jesus, the goodness of the king extended. Um, we, we learn, actually, I think the church and the nonprofit world can learn a lot from business. Accountability with money, the whole accounting reality. I, by the way, I got a D in accounting, and I praised God that I passed. It's like, I'm not going to take that again. I'm not a fool. I passed. What else do I need? You can see I wasn't that great of a student, either in high school or college. But um, accounting. Being accountable for funds, measuring them carefully and asking sort of where did they go and how do you verify that? Like that comes largely from the business world, super valuable. Um, managing people, managing resources, like how do we appropriately leverage the right combination of labor and stuff to create something, to organize something? Like the whole world of management because I, I have seen churches and nonprofits poorly managed. Like, you need to go to the business world in order to learn how appropriately to think about people. Obviously, there are businesses that are very exploitative of labor, but there are businesses who know how to work well with people and manage people well. I think there's value in that. And then uh, marketing, communications. Like, how do we convey a message? These are all things that are good or neutral that can be captured, understood. We can learn from those things and do good with them. But business itself can be a vehicle for extending the shalom of God. So those of you, anywhere you work is probably a business, even a nonprofit, case in point, the sort of defining themselves by the word profit and having people who give that sort of often call the shots on down. business, providing a good or service, like you can do some really amazing things in that respect. Everyone here is likely connected in some way or will be if you're not currently employed or your student, you'll be in a business. And of course, there's the basic level of I want to be. I want to bear witness to how good Jesus is to the people I'm working with. You know, despite their faith background, even if they're Christians, like bearing witness to goodness of Jesus is just something we carry. You can do that. Um, you can sort of challenge uh, stuff that's happening. So there's another level of I want to be a prophetic, prophetic voice. What is it that we're doing that might need, when you look at it from the point of Jesus, some correction that I can bring? Like many very gifted Christians outside of this company don't have the power I do to say something and to bring correction here. This idea of calling and aligning our workplace to be an agent of renewal. I think what we're producing could be a common good if we align it a bit more. And I believe my voice can help align this to bring God's goodness 
through the thing, the service or product that we're producing. And the way that we do it can be a universal good. When God said, I'm going to make human beings in my image so that they can govern well, you can be one of those God image-bearing people bringing goodness out of the business. So I want to go over just a few ways I think that the business world or the places you work, particularly those who work in for-profit businesses, though I would argue um, everything's going the way of the corporation. Educational institutions, uh, healthcare institutions, like they're all becoming businesses. Um, the ways in which you can bring uh, the goodness of God and the, and the um, elements of kingdom into and even align the place you work with the kingdom of God. One of those ways is um, achieving a kind of fruitfulness. Linda spoke last week about uh, the story of God being about, particularly in the creation story, bringing order, bringing beauty, and bringing benefit. Remember that last week? The work is participating with God in bringing order, in bringing beauty, in bringing benefit. And so there, there are ways that you can be about aligning your business to bring order, beauty, and, and benefit. And there is a way business puts us in relationship to others that we wouldn't be in relationship with. More and more, businesses are global, and there are ways in which we touch, connect, uh, partner with people who are very different, people outside your spheres, your neighborhood. Business is an um, international relational vehicle. That can be a very, very helpful way of bringing good. Beyond the story of Babel, which was about increasing the reputation and name and becoming like God of people, there can be beauty. I want you to listen to Nicole, who lives in the Bay Area, and she is a business strategist. So she can be hired to come and help a business with a strategy, and she really believes that her Christian faith is integral to her job as a business strategist. Work was part of the plan even before the fall. Um, and Adam was given a job, Adam and Eve were given a job of managing a garden and then extending it into the rest of the world. Um, there was a work day set in order, worked on the day and in the cool of the evenings, you connect back again with God. And I like to think they were getting instructions on what the next day was supposed to look like. They were responsible for naming the animals, they were responsible for caring for the garden. They were responsible for populating the planet with more people, the pinnacle of God's creation. That's a business, if you will. That is work organized towards the greater good. And what business has done always through the ages, trade in particular through the ages, is has helped connect people with goods and services they need to get along. It's helped to create 
um, a way for differing kinds of people to um, live collectively with one another, dependent upon one, one another, in fellowship with one another, um, and creating peace where there would not have been otherwise. Um, trade. When there's trade, a nation prospers, and the nations involved in that trade tend to prosper. Because I believe it's calling on that innate, original, singular command God gave us day one, which was be fruitful and multiply. And that productivity, being fruitful and multiply, it gets harnessed to exponential levels when you have work, when you have businesses, when you have trade. More people can be served by them. Um, because you are corralling resources um, to serve a greater good beyond yourself and your own households. Prophetic place in the business world. Um, things have been co-opted by principalities and powers uh, to, you know, benefit a few. Um, I think of Matthew 25, uh, where Jesus says, um, or Matthew 20, you know the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over others. Not so among you. That's not the case with you. You do not operate in the way that the principalities and powers operate in empire. And when they're are people full of the Spirit in these places, there are ways to do things differently. It, it's not about extraction, mindset of extraction and consumption. It's about creating good. We may be creating goods, but we can also create good in our creating of goods. And you can bring that into that place. Um, Jesus talks about money way, way more than he talks about sex. Way more. And you just, just look in the Gospels for the word money and look in the Gospels for the word sex. NIV, 33 instances of money, four instances of sex. Two of those are, you know, Matthew and Mark telling the same story. Um, it's not what goes into a person that makes them unholy. It's what comes out, because what comes out is you know, sexual immorality, greed, so two of the sex word references. You know, you might say Jesus is more concerned about the misuse of your coins than the misuse of your loins. And we have um, very conveniently set aside the misuse of coins and excessively focused on the misuse of loins. <laughs> you know, it's super convenient for us, even though Jesus talks way more about the misuse of our money. Uh, we've we've kind of strained out the gnat and swallowed the camel in that regard, I think, uh, in Jesus' words. Not that, um, you know, the misuse of our loins ought to be ignored. It's just that if we're looking at the weight of what Jesus talked about, there's a lot about the misuse of money. Um, as in, you cannot serve both God and money. You know, you just look at the the verses, look up, greed or money, you'll see that there is uh, a lot of caution around idolatry there. I also think 
there's idolatry around sex. So I think there's both, just that Jesus talked a lot more about idolatry around money. And another person in Silicon Valley, Chi Ming, started a uh, software company, uh, you know, writing software and doing analytics for, for people and decided, I want to do it differently. I don't want to align with principalities and powers. I want to ask, how might Jesus run a for-profit software company? Here's what Chi Ming has to say. I think one of the ways that you can think about um, how do you live between the times um, is as acts of resistance. Um, so, for example, if the market says that salaries ought to be a certain way, the distribution of, uh, of salaries within a company like ours ought to you know, follow a certain pattern, um, we want to ask the question, how do you think about that differently? Right? And so one of the answers that we've come up with is that we apply a smooth curve to market salaries where we boost salaries at the low end and discount salaries at the top end so that um, there could be some greater measure of communion. Um, I think that's one way of kind of resisting the kinds of patterns that maybe empire gives us. Um, another way that we thought about that is if the um, dominant mode is... Uh, that ownership belongs to the people that you know that start with the power or that start with um, uh, start with that ownership. Um, we have thought about ownership differently, where 100% of our equity is devoted to the common good. Um, so I think some of it is kind of playing within like the sandbox that you're given, um, but uh, deciding that you're going to play pretty differently. And finally, another way I feel like business can advance the kingdom is a lot of business provides fuel to do research, research and development. You know, uh, necessity is the mother of invention. And like, oh, you see this need? I think we can meet this need. And I think we can pay for meeting this need in this way. Uh, you know, the, the proverb that says it's the glory of God to conceal a matter and the glory of kings to search out a matter. Some businesses are about the glory of kings. Let's figure out how to do this. Let's figure out how to do it really well, really smart. And so the the area of research being funded by businesses is also a quest for discovery. Um, the guy that Jeff Pahorsky and I interviewed in New York City a month ago, uh, Timothy Filippo, works for Jaguar. And so I asked him, now, how can you, working for a high-end uh, auto company, how do you reconcile being a believer with a sort of priority for the, the excluded being baked into our faith and working for a luxury car manufacturer? And this is what Timothy Filippo had to say. So it's interesting. I work in a luxury car company, and some people might think that's a challenge. How can you as a Christian work for a luxury business? But I think God is everywhere, right? And one of the things that about a luxury car company is that this is where all the technology starts. So every technology that is eventually going to make it to kind of mass-produced cars all started on a luxury car. So whether it's 
anti-lock brakes or airbags or driver assistance systems. Because our cars are more expensive, we can pay for the research and development to invest money in technology. So uh, battery electric technology, aluminum construction, these are some of the things that we've done as a company that have now made it through other parts of the industry, but they always kind of start at the top because that's where the investment can be made for the people who are willing to overpay for a car, so to speak, um, to get that kind of investment. But I also think there's room for things in the world that are beautiful and nice, right? So to have craftsmanship that we have on our vehicles, to employ people that can handcraft parts of our cars, I think that celebrates what we as people can do in terms of creating and building, because I think that's part of our identity, being made in the image of God, is we want to create, and we want to create things that are, that are beautiful, and we want to create things that are meaningful, and sometimes that happens at the, at the top of the, the pyramid, so to speak. Yeah, hopefully you've heard an appropriate amount of scrutiny and interrogation of the system and those who are voices on the other side. And I may not totally agree with everything they said. I'm sure they wouldn't with me, but there is a discussion happening about how goodness can be part of our world of business and of creating goods and services that are exchanged for money. And then finally, let's listen to Mayo. Mayo uh, is a, an engineer for a aeronautics battery company. So that he's trying to figure out how do you make better batteries as a scientist for this business of drones and planes. And this is what Mayo has to say. Also, all these people very serious about their faith and believe that their um, place in their workspace is like a missionary calling, not just to the people around them, but within the business itself. I think that in the, the next life, um, much of what we would do would be of the sort of research engineering, right? Um, think about a world where there is no more brokenness and sin, no more um, hindrances to our work, um, given that God has created the world and uh, he has put things in the world. I do not imagine that when we get to the, the next life, um, we would suddenly know everything about the world. Instead, uh, I think our roles as those who um, exert dominion on the world, who are fruitful and multiply, would actually become more prominent. And so as Christians, uh, as uh, those who believe in the creator, um, in the new creation, will be able to, in more ways than one, uh, research the world and build from it and uh, um, and bring it to a place where um, it brings even more glory to God. Yeah, research engineer <clears throat> who believes this is dress rehearsal. I'm going to get to research and engineer and the new creation with all some of the hindrances uh, in this world. So just fascinating perspectives of people. Like, how do you view your job? Is there a way that you can see it bringing the increase of shalom 
in the world, producing a good that is really good without exploiting in order to create it, without extracting in order to create it. How might you be an engine for that? At the start of the service before worship, I referenced Genesis, beginning. Father, Son, and Spirit say, let's make something like us in our likeness so that there is an holy usness in this community that can govern and be a good, can create flourishing, can create order and benefit and glory. I want to take us now to the end of the story where that benefit and glory are um, brought into the new Jerusalem. There's a way in which what Mayo is discovering with regard to battery technology, this is what, what he was really answering, what of what you're doing now will last beyond you know, the conclusion of this world order and come into the next? That's how he was answering that question. Let's see uh, what Revelation... So the very first words in the Bible, let's make humans like us so that they can create good like we do, Father, Son, Spirit. Now at the end, we get this picture of those humans bringing the goodness that they have created into the new Jerusalem. Revelation 21, 20 through 26 I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there, the glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. In what way is the place you work about manifesting or creating the glory and honor of the nations? You know, the kings referenced by Solomon. It's the, you know, glory of God to conceal a matter, the glory of kings. So you, you are among that kingdom of priests. Search out create and bring into the new reality the glory and honor that get created through your business, through the place you work, through the institution. You can be a part of that. What if you were responsible for participating in the glory and honor of the nations that last into the next reality? Um, Business is or can be about fruitfulness, about order, about creating good, about prophetically resisting the call of the prophets, F prophets, listening to the call of the prophets, PH prophets. It can be about that. You can bring that into the business world. Um, changing it from this place that's about extraction and consumption and bringing renewal, integrity, and flourishing. That's what this series is about. How is it that these places... It's not just about uh, your neighborhood, though it is about your neighborhood, or 
your family, though it is about your family, or your church, though it is about your church. It's about where you are located. For the for many of you, it's for the majority of your waking hours. Where you're located there can be um, a place of bringing renewal, no matter where you're working. So we've looked at a variety of places. We'll look at some more places. But I wanted to pause and look at the business world. Let me pray for us, and then I'll release us. God, I'm challenged by what Nicole had to say about you essentially being a business person or creating goodness and order and uh, working with humanity in order to produce that business of goodness. Lord, those of us who have the privilege of investing, help us to think about how can I invest my resources, my money, into places that will produce good? How can I scrutinize and interrogate a little bit the places where my money's going and asking, it may not make as much money, but it will be part of investing in good, in creating a good that is good. Give us that posture with the places we work, with how we use our resources. Thanks for the privilege of doing that in communion with others and with you, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.